It was a crazy weekend at the Pac-12 tournament. We had Matthew Walter there to talk about it. Now he's going to talk about it with you. Locked on women's basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, thanking you for making us your first listen every day. You can subscribe to Lockdown Women's Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. And of course, we are powered by the incredible team over at The Next, thenexthoops.com. $9 a month, $72 a year helps support people like Matthew Walter, who is everywhere for us. We're going to talk to him tomorrow. I'll be honest with you. It's going to be today, but you'll hear it tomorrow. Okay. But we're going to talk about West Coast Conference basketball tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. But today we're going to be talking about the Pac-12. And in segment one, Charlize Ledger Walker, CLW, and the incredible Cinderella story authored by the Cougars who are headed to the NCAA tournament. Did you have Washington State on your bingo card, Matthew? Did you have Washington State winning at all? No, I don't think I had them winning more than one game and beating Cal. And, you know, that is a it credits to Cami Etheridge. It's credits to her staff and her players and the job that they did. Because, you know, I talked to them after their second game, after they beat Utah and what was really the biggest upset of their tournament run. And I said, did you expect this? And they said, you know, we packed like we could win this whole thing because we kind of felt like we're the team that no one talks about. And that, you know, we have all these kids that are, are international kids that aren't recruited at the highest level. And we battle with teams that are mid-major schools to get our recruits. People like um, the Bella Mercatetes and the Astera Tujinas and the Ulamotugas. Those are the kids that would have gone mid-major. Now, Charlize Ledger-Walker, she was a Power 5 kid no matter what. When she took her visit to Washington State at the time, she also took a visit to Texas. So she was a kid that was going to go at the high level no matter what. But her decision to go to Washington state. And just, it shows how much that Cami Etheridge and her staff, you know, they've picked the right kids and they've really developed them into these star players. And you saw it with Charlize, right? She hit the big dagger three against Utah to knock them out. She had a bunch of big plays down the stretch against UCLA. She had the big and one layup that basically sealed the championship game for them. And she just seemed to always make big plays for the Cougars when they needed her to. And so much of that is just, you know, her development as a player getting better. She hit five threes in the championship game against UCLA, and she wasn't a super great three-point shooter before the season, but she got a lot better shooting over 34, 35% this season from beyond the arc. And you just see her basketball IQ on the floor, and she really is the, the leader, even though she's not the true point guard. She just does so many smart things with the ball and is just is so hard to, to stop on the offense. Man. And then their defense was incredible. The whole tournament run, they held teams 50 point, 54 points a game, which was seven points less than their regular season average, just an incredibly well-played basketball. They scout really well, and they just make things so difficult for you when you have to guard them with Charlize Ledger-Walker and Bella Mercatete in the middle. So a couple of things to keep in mind. And again, in segment one, we're going to talk about Washington State. We're going to talk about some of the teams who are, let's say, more marginal in March Madness. And then segment two, we're going to go deeper into Stanford and Utah, the two 
what I think most people consider the two final four potential teams in the Pac-12 and kind of deep dive into why they fell short because nobody, nobody I know, and if they say they did, you're lying. They're lying, right? Had UCLA versus Washington State in that championship game the way it worked out. But it's real important, and I just want to set the scene for our listeners here. Okay, as of right now, Charlie Cream's Practicology has seven Pac-12 teams. And again, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. You're hearing it Thursday morning. But seven Pac-12 teams is impressive in and of itself. But that's before you get into the fact that as of right now, he's got Oregon among the first four out, Washington among the next four out. So a lot of contenders with a lot of moving parts still going on here. And so before we even get into the teams that are, as of right now, it seems, in the big dance, what do you think, Matthew, of Oregon as an NCAA team, did they do enough this weekend? And what were your impressions of Kelly Graves' team? I think he has a really good team. I think they you know the committee takes a lot of things into consideration. I think they get hurt by a couple of you know teams that were already in losing their conference tournaments, South Florida and Gonzaga. That's two spots that are now going to have to be taken away because those two teams were in already no matter what happened to them in their conference tournament. And those spots now go to Portland and whoever wins the American Con- uh, Athletic Conference. But I just think with India Rogers, with the Hina Pow Pow in the backcourt, you've got two really good teams. They played an incredibly difficult non-conference schedule. Their net is up in the top, you know, 25, which like Charlie Cream said at one point, to have a top 25 net team at what, seven and 14 is almost unheard of. But right. just the quality of teams that they've played, they've made played a lot of the last part of their season without their star freshman, Grace Van Sluten, who I personally voted for as Pac-12 freshman of the year. I thought she was incredible for them. And just it showed in their game, their first game against Washington, right? That was basically a elimination game for one of those teams. And India Rogers came out and put up 28 points. You know, she had her best game of the, one of her best games of the season. She was incredibly impressive down the stretch. They were just going to her every single possession running basically the exact same play and Washington couldn't stop it. And she scored four or five times off of this exact same curl cut play. And- I, I, I got to say, Rogers on my All-American team, uh, my USBWA ballot, we get 15 and Rogers mm-hmm. on that ballot. I mean, yeah, she- she's been absolutely incredible this whole year. And I, her, how much eligibility she has left is a little confusing, but she's definitely a kind of kid who could get a WNBA look just with the talent that she has and, and her ability to score the ball from the guard position. So yeah. I, I think this is an NCAA tournament team. I think this is definitely one of those last four teams in, but I definitely don't think it's a team that anybody wants to play with the depth that they have two experienced guards in the front. And then you have some front court players with Grace Van Sluten, who, who's a really talented freshman and some other talented freshmen like Chance Gray around this, this Tahina Pow Pow and Andrea Rogers led team. It reminds me a lot of a Kelly team from some years ago that had a 10 seed with a freshman point guard named Sabrina Ionescu. And I remember watching them over the course of the season have a lot of ups and downs. But it doesn't matter if you give Kelly Graves a chance in March, his teams make noise. We saw that Oregon team beat a Maryland team that I thought had a chance to win it all that year and go on to the Elite Eight. He's done the same thing at Gonzaga and, uh, you know, took that Courtney Vandersloot team that was seated 10th to the Elite Eight. So, you know, just get him in the dance and let's see what happens. It's going to be really interesting as far as I'm concerned in order to see it. And then I guess the other question I have is when you look at the seven teams 
who are in the dance right now, if we sort of take the bracketology as it is, who is the one of beyond, you know, that top tier, beyond that Stanford, Utah, that you sit there and say, geez, I think that team is someone we might be seeing in second weekend when it comes to the NCAA tournament among the Pac-12. I think it's the two teams you saw in that championship game. I think it's UCLA and I think it's Washington State, right? I think you saw UCLA get themselves onto a four-seed line. So now Mm -hmm. they're going to get to host. They have great leadership with Charisma Osborne. And then those freshmen are also incredibly talented. Kiki Rice, London Jones, Gabriela Jaquez, Emily Besswar has made such amazing strides. She was my pick if UCLA won the championship for most outstanding player because she had her first career double-double. She had multiple double-digit scoring outputs. She made Cameron Brink's life incredibly difficult in that semifinal win. That second half, Emily Besswar almost completely shut down Cameron Brink, which is almost unheard of for any Pac-12 team other than unless she gets in foul trouble. And Emily Besswar made her life so incredibly difficult. And Charisma Osborne is such a leader for this group from, you know, for everything because she's really the only most experienced player that they have. And then Washington State, I think they're going to come into the tournament with just oozing confidence. And because of that defense and the scouting they do, and the fact that I always say, once you get out of conference play and you play teams in state tournament, things open up for you because teams in conference, they know you really well. You've played two, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. Now you get the NCAA tournament, you've never played this team. Maybe you played them two years ago, three years ago, but because you don't have experience playing them year over year, no one really knows. I mean, Charlie's Ledger Walker is just so good. Her IQ is so high, and just how smart all of these international recruits are for the Cougars. I think they're a team, if they get the right, you know, if they get a six seed and they play the right three seed, they might have a chance to surprise somebody, pull an upset, and go to the Sweet 16. I will throw one more out there. Lindsey Gottlieb's USC team, I think. That team, which is 11th per her hoop stats in uh, defensive rating, that is a team where if you got him into, I mean, Charlie's got him as an eight seed right now. So Mm -hmm. you pop him in against like Virginia Tech in the second round. And suddenly, to your point, they haven't seen that Lindsey Gottlieb defense. I would be fascinating to see it. So more to come on all of that. The Pac-12, fascinating to be sure. Want to make sure that people also know about our sponsor and it's nissan nissan's most electric player of the week is brought to you by the all-new all-electric 2023 nissan aria so my player of the week clw clw brought an electricity to the moment did what was necessary was absolutely powerful could not be stopped really impressed I think CLW is our Nissan most electric player of the week. Remember, the Nissan Aria packs pin-to-your-seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. So the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive, go ahead and shop for it right now at Nissan.com. So we didn't see... That Stanford-Utah final, we sort of did, right? That last week before the tournament, we did get to see that battle, that matchup between Stanford and Utah. And Matthew, I got to say, and you see these teams more than I do, you're more awake than I am when you see them because they play at ungodly hours using the wrong time zone. So when you look at these two teams, I know the other day in our chat, you mentioned – 
you think they're both Final Four teams. Do you feel that way after coming out, having a chance to sleep on it? They're both Final Four teams in your view? I think they are. And I think with Stanford, right, this is this was a year was a changing of identity for the Cardinal, right? Last year with the Hull sisters, with Hannah Jump, with Anna Wilson, they shot all these threes. They were a much more extra, you know, a good three-point shooting team. This year, outside of Hannah Jump, they really don't have a true set second three-point shooter. And so their identity has changed to be this inside post you up paint presence team. Not that they weren't able to do that in the past, but because of the balance of having the whole sisters and jump and Wilson on the perimeter to go with Brink and Jones inside, you had more balance. Now it's really just Brink and Jones and Believe and Lauren Betts on the inside, and they don't really have a big outside presence outside of Hannah Jump. And Talana Lapolo can knock down threes, but her first look isn't to score. So I think for Stanford, right, you're looking at can we be a more consistently balanced team, or are we just going to be able to dominate people inside? I think if there's one thing I'm never going to do, it's doubt Tara Vanderveer, right? Ah. She's going to get her team prepared to play in March to the best level of her ability. And I think you know, sometimes losing games is almost better for a team than winning games because you learn from your losses. And Tara talked about it, right? I have to use this. We have to use this time the next 10, 12 days when they lost against UCLA on that set on that Friday night to figure out what kind of team we're going to be, right? We have to figure out how we're going to better put ourselves in position on offense mm-hmm. to score and, and be a more balanced team. You know, we're, we changed our identity because of the kind of talent that we have this year, but we have to learn how to play that way, especially now that we get in March and these games are tight and we're playing teams that are, you know, going to be high level every single game. I think that they'll learn and figure it out. And like I said, they, they play excellent defense. And I think that, you know, each of their losses, it wasn't the same thing every time they got them right. The loss to USC was offense. Now they didn't play very well offensively. The loss to Washington was they didn't rebound very well. The loss against UCLA, they had this lead that they blew in the fourth quarter. So it's just just like the sort of a South Carolina loss. So they just need to sort of shore up a few small things, and they will be be in a much better position. Again, I'm not going to doubt Tara Vanderveer. She's one, in, she's the all-time winningest coach in this sport. I think she's going to be able to figure things out with the talented group that she has. Yeah, For- I mean, Tara's a good young coach, up and coming. I think she has a chance to do some good things in this uh, sport. I have to agree with you about that. Here's the thing for me, and and your point is well taken that it's been different things. But so there's sort of two ways that I look at that. Number one is there's not one specific area that it's clear that Stanford needs to fix. And in some ways that makes it harder. If you haven't by March figured out how to, for the most part, play the game to your identity. Michelle Smith wrote a terrific piece also for us about this, about that Stanford has been trying to figure this out all year. The flip side of it is, if a Tara team hasn't figured that out by March, that's a red flag for me. That might not be a question of like, gee, I don't believe in Tara's ability to figure it out as much as like, maybe the personnel isn't there to do it. And then there's the other part of that, which goes to, if you go for a full year of data, Stanford the last couple of years, and routinely, is a top 15, usually top 10 defense in the country. They are, by defensive rating this year, 48th in the country, which for most programs is fine, is very good. But for Stanford, represents a real step back. And when you combine that, that they are good but not great at stopping people with the fact that they just can't stretch defenses. They just don't have the three-point shooters beyond Hannah Jump to be able to do it, and, and, and Cameron Brink to an extent, I, I have real worries about 
Stanford going out there and winning two games the first weekend and two games the second weekend to be joining us in Dallas. Yeah, and you saw it against UCLA, right? UCLA, the last two times that they played Stanford, their main focus was Hannah Jump is not going to score. We are going to make it so that they can't have a perimeter game. The game in the semifinal, she had no points and took three shots. Mm-hmm. So that's And that's very atypical of Hannah Jump, right? She needs to get a couple of threes. Usually she finds them in transition, and the, and the Cardinal do a great job of finding her in space, and she just couldn't get anything going on, on offense. And, again, Cameron Brink had a good first half, but they did a much better job in the second half defending her, playing, being physical with her. And I think it's something where – you know, you're going to have to figure out how do we get points from, you know, Haley Jones needs a little bit more scoring. Can we get LaPolo to be a little bit more of a scorer? Can we get something from a Fran Belibi or a Lauren Betts more consistently? Or Brooke Dimitri, can she knock a three or two down off the bench? It's You have to find other people to sort of pick up if Hannah Jump, you know, does get shut down, if Cameron Brink does have a, a tough game or gets in foul trouble. I think it's just the depth is there, but it's not a consistent depth where you're getting one or two people to always give you – you know, four to eight to 10 points off the bench. And you can, you can outscore Stanford is the other part of that when they don't have enough offensive firepower in order to do it, you know, Utah, and just, you know, as a segue, this will take us over to the Utes, but Utah beat them 84, 78. And just the idea that you can go up and put up 84 on that Stanford team was really striking. And it didn't, and you watched it just like I did. It was not, one of these things where you say, well, geez, Utah wasn't playing their game. They were otherworldly. That was that was Utah game, Utah's game. And so, you know, when I look at Utah, I have basically the opposite question. They are fourth in the country in points per 100 possessions. They are, you know, I've been on the lookout since several years ago. I had a WNBA front office person say, yeah, I watch Lynn Roberts's Utah team and I get ideas things that our team wants to incorporate. And this is before their rise got to where they are now. But they are 119th in the country in defensive points per possession. And so the question is, can you, and listen, Iowa's going to be asking the same question, right? Can you outscore your way to a Final Four? Now, Gino Oriema often talks about this. He harps on it. He says, when you get to those games, you have to be able to outscore the opposition. Gino's teams are always top 10 in defensive efficiency. So I get why Gino's saying that, but I don't know. What do you think? Can Utah defend well enough to get there? And what's your argument for it? Because I know you think they can. I would say it's hard, right? So when you get to March, and and um, somebody talked about this, I can't remember who it was, one of the coaches of the two tournaments I was at. In March, teams start getting less points in transition. You turn into it's a half-court game, right? You're going to be much more... Um, conservative defensively, you're going to not try to be more aggressive and, and try to take away transition points pretty easily. And so I would start with the fact that Utah's half court offense is very difficult to guard. They do a lot of movement. They do a lot of ability to bring people open. And I just think Utah has so many offensive weapons that can hurt you, right? It starts with Alyssa Peely and why I think they lost to Washington state is Washington state has the perfect person to guard Alyssa Peely and Ula Motuga with her size, with her physicality. She really just took Alyssa Peely completely out of the game. The second mm-hmm. reason was Utah was missing their starting point guard for a team that runs this high flying, high powered offense. If you're not, you don't have your starting point guard. That's your motor, right? That's mm-hmm. the person that runs things for you. So I think having her back and healthy, which it sounds like she'll be back for the NCAA tournament is a, is going to give them a chance to, to play better. And then the third thing, I think this was a team that was sort of getting a little high on their own, 
their own success, right? They hadn't been this good. And so I think sometimes when you get to the top of the pedestal and you've been there for the first time, you need to get knocked down because it sort of wakes you up, right? It reminds you like, hey, we're still not the top dog. We're still not consistently the best team. We're not Stanford yet. We beat them one time. Yes, we won, you know, co-regular season champions, but that doesn't mean that we're the best team in the Pac-12 consistently. So I think Lynn Roberts talked about it, that when that first ball gets tipped in their round of 64 matchup, I think their players are going to just be so excited to like prove that that game against Washington State was a fluke and not a real thing. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see how many teams have the skill set to stop Alyssa Peely. And I think she's going to have a little bit of a, a re-excitement, a reinvigoration from having this loss. And you see it with all the other kids that they have on the floor. Neepkins can shoot the heck out of the basketball. McQueen can shoot the heck out of the basketball. Once Palmer gets back, she's a phenomenal leader. They push the ball in transition at a really hard pace. And I just think that the offense will get going. Defense is going to come and go with them. I think you're going to see them be able to get stops consistently. But again, the reason that they struggle on defense is because they play at such a fast pace, right? You're going to play with more possessions in general in a game when you're shooting it a lot higher rate. And I get it. You're talking about defensive per possession. I'm just saying from an efficiency perspective, there's that too. In other words, it's not just a question of how many points they're giving up. I I ignore that. I put that Mm -hmm. aside. You look at what are they doing per possession? It's still Mm -hmm. a lot. It's better. It's better, but it's still a lot. And that's understandable. And you really look at it, right? They have Alyssa Peely is not a a big size post. So they really don't have someone to truly guard the basket. But I think that sometimes when you get to this time of year, it's about do the personnel matchup right? Is the matchups correct? And with Peely and some of the other players they have, it's just a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams. And it's a lot harder for you to beat you know, a team. And, and again, you look at who, who do they beat in the PAC 12, right? Well, there's a PAC 12 this year is full of defensive teams. Like mm-hmm. it was not an offensive, like other than Utah, I felt like the PAC 12 this year was sort of a defensive identity. And we saw with a lot of low scoring conference tournament games, they beat USC, who you said is one of the best defensive teams in the country. They beat Colorado. They beat Arizona. They played in a lot of these games where they made the other team have to score to keep up with them. And I think if you can do that in the Pac-12, you can put up 125 on Oklahoma, who I know is the best defensive team in the country. But putting up 125 on a Power 5 school, I just think that when you get into these games where teams don't know you as well and the personnel is not the same, it's hard to match up with a team that wants to just – throw it consistently. And every time you put your hand down, a shot's going up and usually it's going to go in against Utah. Yeah, no doubt. I I'm excited. You know, Peely is somebody who I was willing to put up with inhumane time zone conditions in order to watch consistently this year. And that America is going to get to see her. Uh, I hope for at least two weekends is going to be a really wonderful thing, I think for the game as well, but you're right. They even put up 83 on USC. So I am going to be fascinated to see it. I do want to tell, um, um, in a moment, I want to ask you about Arizona, and I want to get your take on Arizona before we go. But I first want to talk to you, to the good people at home, about Built Bar. And, you know, yes, I eat other things on occasion, but like most of my day is taken up with eating Built Bars. And and it isn't any wonder why, right? They are covered in 100% real chocolate. The flavors are like churro. They have these like cookie dough puffs for sale right now that are just, they're my my life force. Peanut butter brownie, you name it. They do all these amazing things and you say, oh, well, you know, you're taking your way toward a heart attack. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. 
Don't worry about me. Don't fear for me because it's 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, four net carbs for most of them. I mean, it's a healthy option. It's basically like I'm eating vegetables covered in real chocolate. Now, I've always gotten them at Built.com, and you tend to, using the code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. But now you can go to Walmart, and you can get them a four-box, a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. You can go to Sam's Club and get the 13-bar box, brownie batter, which is my wife's favorite, churro, my older daughter's favorite. You can thank me later. And most importantly, Matthew, when you go, who do you tell them sent you? I would assume it's Grandma Myrna, but I don't know if Sam's Club's going to know who that is. It's Grandma Myrna. Everybody's going to know who Grandma Myrna is. It's Grandma Myrna. You tell them Grandma Myrna sent you, and I appreciate that very much. Matthew, Arizona is a sixth seed in bracketology as of right now. They have some remarkable highs. They have some disconcerting lows. They have one of the best beat writers in the world covering them in P.J. Brown. Tell me... What do I make of Arizona going in this tournament? Because I can't figure it out. And it's funny because I was talking to some people at the Pac-12 tournament and I said, they said, who do you think you, you like in Arizona, UCLA? And I said, UCLA. And I said, Arizona has come into this tournament. I watched them last year and it just doesn't seem like they play very well at the Pac-12 tournament. Now, Adia Barnes has proven that they can win in the NCAA tournament, right? They did it with Aaron McDonald going all the way to the championship game. And I, I, I'm sort of with you. I don't really know what to make of them. I would think they brought in all of this offensive talent. They should be a better offensive team. Jay Lavelle was an all pack 12 player at Arizona state as Mary Martinez was an all big 12 player, as was Lauren Fields at West Virginia and Oklahoma state. Kate yeah. Reese is a good player. Shayna Pellington had a game where she put up 30 on Utah. So it's not like they don't have players that can score, but sometimes you watch them on offense and it just looks like they're lost. And I just, the defense is sort of coming and going with them, right? Like you said, they had some great highs. They, they won some big games this year, but then like the Kansas game was, was a low and some other games where you just sort of scratch your head and go, how did they, they lost at Oregon state on the last game of the year. And Oregon state was sort of an up and down team all season. So I really don't really know what to make of them. If I had to lean a direction, I unfortunately want to lean in the, they're probably going to get lose earlier than they're going to go on a deep run. And yeah. as much as I have a ton of respect for Adia Barnes, I just watching them in the Pac-12 tournament over the weekend against UCLA, it, they just look kind of lost. They look unsure of themselves. They don't really know what they're doing. And Adia Barnes was almost calling on her team in the press conference for not having a, a focus and a, and a lack of energy and said, I can coach you on how to do things right, but I can't coach you to get you to play with more energy. And I can't coach you to hustle and go for loose balls. And that was sort of, in my mind, was a calling to her team. Like, hey, we need to play with more energy if we want to win more games. And we'll see how her team responds in the NCAA tournament. But it was just not a good showing at the Pac-12 tournament. And I was not surprised. And bottom line, by the way, Bracketology right now has him as a six facing Carl Smesco and FGCU as the 11. I know if that's the actual bracket in front of me when I'm making my picks, I'm going FGCU on that one. So it's and it's not a referendum on uh, Adia Barnes, right, who's obviously proven her bona fides. But sometimes the group doesn't come together. And when I'm trying to figure out this time of year. Um, you know, that said, if anybody can figure it out between now and then, she's certainly one of them. Uh, Matthew, before I let you go, um, I want to thank our listeners for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. Now we want to make your second listen, Game to Game NBA. Um, I don't know if you had heard, there's a league now 
for men to play basketball. It's from the National Basketball Association. And uh, apparently they've got they've got like 30 teams, even more than the W. So every moment, every top performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts to our listeners at home. Uh, and maybe you can help with this. Uh, I want to thank you, Matthew Walter, our Pac-12 reporter, for all the work you did today. Um, tomorrow, we're going to be talking to the uh, WCC beat reporter. Um, I'm just going to, it appears to be Matthew Walter as well. Um, Matthew, can you give any insight into um, into Matthew's work? I hear he's pretty smart. He's seen a lot of basketball in the last week, maybe something like 18 games. I don't know. A lot, a lot of basketball in Las Vegas. Almost too much basketball. Yeah. But I look forward to the conversation. Thank you to our listeners. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until that, I mean, it's going to be today. Just, you know, it, it technically was yesterday. All right. Have a good day. Talk to you tomorrow. Howard McDowell wishing you a wonderful Thursday. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.